I had so enjoyed my conversation with Jeff Gibbert, who is the author of The Lovable Leader. You got to read the book. It's amazing. And he talks about respect and being servant leadership. It's all very important. But one of the things he really brought forward in the conversation was how important communication is. It is meant to inspire to influence, to engage, to energize people. And sometimes we forget that really that is what we're really trying to do when we engage with people on our teams, at work, et cetera, because sometimes we focus just so much on having accurate information and downloading and getting our information to them. What we fail to do, though, is form human relationships. We Don't communicate in a way that everybody will understand, consume, relate. And when we flip it and say, what are our intentions that we want to accomplish when we share this information? How will I communicate it should really be the emphasis and then go backwards from there and hone the information. I promise you, we will have a much better outcome. And so you are going to love this conversation with Jeff Gabbard. I know I did. I was energized and it renewed my feeling about how important it is to communicate with humanity. Let's listen. I think communication is the most important tool we have as humans. We are social creatures and we have to in some way bridge the gap between what's going on in our own minds and what's going on in others. And we have to coordinate and collaborate on things. So What makes that happen? It's always communication. And communication can be used to do so many different things because it's just the transmission of information of some sort. It could be an emotion. It could be data. It could be anything from one place to another. I believe the most effective communication inspires, it informs, and it influences. That is effective communication. But by contrast, you could miscommunicate or you could misinform people or confuse them. You could subordinate them or incapacitate them. You could demotivate them. These are all things that I think are poor uses of communication. I think it's so much of what the command and control style of leadership has been based on is manipulating people for your own gain. I think when you switch the lens to what you're trying to accomplish, I think you then begin to focus on how do I inspire and influence and engage people to come with me on a mission towards a better place. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am grateful you have joined us on another episode of the podcast where I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with amazing leaders week after week who share their insights and inspiration with you. And I know you're going to love this episode, but if you do, please share with others so we can increase the downloads, rate, review the podcast, because we are on a journey to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate their challenges with confidence. And now it is my distinct pleasure to share the mic with my amazing guest, Jeff Gibbard. Jeff Gibbard is the author of The Lovable Leader, a professional speaker and the founder of several companies, including Super Productive, and the Superhuman 
Superhero Institute, a certification program for coaches that want to help their clients grow revenues and unlock their potential to make a positive impact on the world. And Jeff is also the host of his own popular podcast called Shareable. I am excited for this interview, finally. And there's a backstory to this, but Jeff, welcome to the show. Deb, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you having me on. So this is a story of persistence for Jeff and I. We had scheduled the interview, then I had to reschedule. I think Jeff had to reschedule. I had terrible internet when we tried this. Third time is a charm. But if something happens, Jeff is a father welcoming a second child. We may have to try this a fourth time. But (laughs) for those listening, Jeff and I and our values resonate so much. When we talk about leadership, leadership has changed so much over the years. And I think it is so aligned with the human existence. We talk about lovable leadership. We talk about just being a little bit more human because ultimately we want people to spend more time doing the things that they really enjoy to do and unleash their potential. And so I am so curious about Jeff's work. Please tell our audience a little bit about yourself personally, as well as the journey and the amazing work that you're doing now. Sure. So I do a lot of different things in my life. I'm a speaker. I'm a trainer. I'm a podcaster. I write a lot. I have a blog that I post on twice a week. And I'm really obsessed with a number of different subjects and really continuing to learn about the intersections between these topics. So I'm fascinated by the concept of brand and how that plays out for companies and for individuals, leadership, culture. My background is in marketing and sales. And then I'm also, because I have ADHD and because I've become obsessed with the topic of productivity. I also consider myself somewhat of an expert on the topic of productivity, specifically productivity for the neurodivergent. So those are all kind of a collection of my interests. And I'm a psychologically unemployable entrepreneur that just chases passion after passion. And, you know, I'm just out to try and make a difference in the world by creating a world with more superheroes. Oh, okay. So you're speaking to my heart here. I couldn't keep up with all of the different things. And this one thing that really resonates with me is that You know, we get educated, we follow certain career paths for people that are listening, and we develop our area of expertise. But so often, we sometimes put aside those gifts, those skills, those superhero powers that, one, either we don't embrace them, or two, we just say, ah, shucks, that's just what I do. But we need to pause a little bit and recognize what we are really good at, because it may be a glimpse into the future of what we're really meant to be and what we're to do. So I'm just curious a little bit about your background. Had you early on followed something that was typical, expected, logical before going into and pursuing so many different passions that I think just unleashes your potential? So just tell me a little bit more about that. I got to say, I think I'm a gold star never taking the practical route in my life. Like meaning, I don't think I've ever once selected the kind of smart choice and even the in the time later in my life where I did, even that, I think I took a hard left turn. So I'll give you the long, the, the long story real short. As a kid, I was born the year before Superman came out, the first one with Christopher Reeves. And then I was born the year after it came out. And then the second one came out the year after I was born. So I was born in 1980, right between the two. So I was obsessed with Superman as a kid. And that made such an impact on me as a kid. And I think part traumatic, but part aspirational that, you know, you have to use your powers to make the world a better place. You can't let down those around you or something bad could happen. Like there were all these messages that I internalized from the super superhero thing that I got through Superman. So it was all about that. But the the kind of genesis of my what do I want to be as a person in my life 
came from the fact that my dad was a funeral director. So at an early point in my life, I remember him sitting me down and saying, if you find something you love to do, you will never work a day in your life. All you'll do is play and have fun and enjoy what you do. And I was like, sold, I'm into it. And and he said, but the alternative is if you don't, you might end up like me burying people. And I was like, all right. So it was a very morbid talk for a six-year-old or a seven-year-old or whatever it was. And it was at that point that I started really thinking about everything in terms of what do I enjoy doing? So my first choice of, of what I wanted to do for my career was being a professional basketball player. After that, it was to be a famous film director. After that, it was to be a world-famous photographer. After that, revolutionize in-home fine dining. I wanted to be a personal chef and create a, a personal chef revolution. And it was only until I failed at all of those things that I went back to school and got my MBA. And when I came out of that, I started my agency after a few brief stints not being a great employee. And that kind of leads us up to some some more current stuff, but I'll leave it at that and let you jump in. You know, I think what it is, I actually am almost jealous because, you know, there are things that I was good at. And I'm sure for our listeners, maybe you were good at music, maybe you were good at writing, maybe photography. But at the time, perhaps generationally, it wasn't practical to pursue those items or we didn't have the good fortune of being able to practice or chase a few things. And so now, given the opportunity, I'm in my own business, I love to write. I love to read. I love to create. I love podcasting so that I can do more of a one-to-many and impact people in a creative place. And am I making a lot of money at it? I'm making a little bit, but I'll tell you, I am having the time of my life getting to know people like you and sharing your stories with others. So kudos to you for having the courage and having the support to follow your dreams, fail, and succeed and here we are talking now. So I want to get more into you. You sing to my heart, the superhero. I just did some podcast episodes about celebrating your superpowers. Tell me what was the inspiration for The Lovable Leader? Because I want to dig right into a lot of your talking points. Why this book and <laughs> what was the inspiration for that? There were two big inspirations behind writing a leadership book. The first, I always have to give credit to my wife because I had been managing people for several years, and she had just moved into a managerial role. We were on a drive back from uh, Annapolis, Maryland with some friends, and we were just talking about management and leading people and like how to have powerful conversations and how to have you know tough conversations and all the aspects that go along with managing people. And the outline for the book came to me in the car, and she busted out my Evernote, and actually, we outlined the book in the car. And that weekend, I wrote 18,000 words on the book. So that was the first inspiration was my wife. The second was bad bosses. I tried to break down why can't I why can't I keep a job? Like why can't I hold down a job? And part of it was I'm just not built for that life. But part of it was I think that I experienced a lot of work trauma in the what it felt like to work under people who didn't appreciate you or who didn't trust you or who didn't make you feel safe in the role that you had. And this is, you know, this is how we pay our rent, how we get food on the table. And, you know, I pursued a lot of wild and crazy things, as I just illustrated, that I had little chance of making happen. But there were times in my life where there it was a struggle. Like I remember at one point, I, because I had to cover my rent and I didn't have any other money, like my roommate and I basically ate ginger snaps and water for like three or four days. I was in probably the best shape of my life at that point. <laughs> so when you think about being in an environment where you don't feel safe because you don't have enough, or you feel like what little you do have might be taken away, it really makes an impact on you. And I began to think about those managers that I had. What were they like? What, how did they make me feel? What are the things that they did? 
And then I tried to just invert it and say, well, what would it, what would the opposite of that be? And what I came to kind of understand is that the places that we all really want to work, I think if you really talk to each person and you look at Gallup polling of like why people leave, why people stay, what people want, what do we really want? We want to be cared for as people. We want to be in a place where we trust those around us and where they trust us. And that, that gives us the freedom to pursue what we're really good at. And then we want a place where we have the safety to pursue big goals that we that align with our purpose and our values, right? Like, doesn't that sound like what most people probably want is to find something that they could do that they would enjoy doing, where they feel safe, cared for, and trusted? That sounds like a great place to work. Now, my next question is, who is this book written for? Is it written for the leader who realizes they need to change and become a lovable leader? Or is it for the person that's in an environment where they should be in search of lovable leaders. Who is this book written for? So the book is actually written for, I would say, two different audiences. One is definitely new managers. People like the position my wife is in, where it's your first time, you were probably good at a thing, and they said, well, great, now you're going to manage people, as if they're the, the same skill set, right? So I really wanted to cover the aspects of leadership that no one talks about or gets trained on when they get dropped in a manager's role. Because that seems to be the origin story of many bad bosses is I was good at a thing. Now I got to manage people. P.S. I'm not good at managing people. Now everybody's leaving. So I wrote it for new managers to really develop the emotional intelligence and the people skills required to effectively lead others. So that's the first audience. The second audience is an audience of one, and that's me. I wrote it for myself because the lessons that are in that book are the collection of things that I've gathered over the course of my life, stories from others, and they're the things I try to remind myself to be when I'm in my positions of leadership. So it's a thing that I'm, I am not in any way saying I am the lovable leader when I talk about you know the lovable leader as a book. I'm saying I aspire to be the lovable leader. And this book is my best collection of writing down the things that I thought made up that person that we all want to work for, that we all want to work with that we would leave our company if they left to go follow them. That's the kind of leaders I think we need more of in business. And the thing about the book is that the lessons that are in the book, the things I try to pull from there, are really about just having powerful and respectful relationships. So that can apply to if you're leading upward. It can apply to if you're on a, a sports team, in a church, in a romantic relationship. A lot of the things in here are about creating the things that you have in loving relationships, care, trust, and safety. You know, what I love about this, there's a couple of ways I can go here, but, you know, you said that I wanted to take my collective experience and unique insights and write them down. I needed to tell the story. I needed to, as you say, remind yourself as well as maybe others can aspire to that. For my listeners here, you are all smart and you have your unique perspective. And whether you are working for yourself or working in business, you have thoughts that you need to write down because ultimately they may become your superhero strengths. And even if you're not thinking about writing a book, you better write them down because you might actually forget them. Or someday your voice needs to be heard, whether it's a presentation, a speech, or maybe there's a book in you. But I want to just take this in another direction. So I get the book, The Lovable Leader. It feels nice, but you really have a different intention. It is about leadership, management, it's a serious book. So tell me a little bit more about the naming of the book, but really the intention. 
So the name actually came to me as we were writing that outline in the car. So like it hit me immediately because my wife is like objectively the most lovable person you could meet. She is like just like a Disney princess. So you meet her and it's just it's just obvious. So the the name came to me. But then as I started thinking about it, similar to like all of my superhero stuff, I think, well, who's going to take that seriously? Mm -hmm. And it was at that moment that I thought to myself, you know what? Good. I actually hope that they don't for a moment. I hope that it actually challenges them to really think about their assumptions about what is important at work. Is what's important at work that we can shave a little bit more productivity out of people so we can make a little bit more profit? Is that really what's important? Probably not in at least most good human beings book, right? Instead, I like to think of it as naming at the level of the leader was a challenge. It was a challenge to say, do you want to open this? And are you opening it because of your ego? Because you want to be loved for some reason because you're lacking something? Is it you want to open it because you want to call it a big bunch of fluff and how business isn't about that? Do you want to not even open it and judge it? But for those that do, they'll see that what I'm actually saying is it's an aspirational journey to be a lovable leader and to bring the concept of love into work so that as defined by, say, Brene Brown or others, care, trust, respect, kindness, mutual admiration, things like that. These are elements of love. These all belong at work. Why wouldn't they? We're all human beings. We all want those things. We want to be cared for, trusted, and safe. So when I decided to finally follow through with it and decide that was going to be the name of the book and that's why I was putting out there, the real call is not how do you become lovable, but how do you create an environment that is lovable where everyone feels cared for? So you as a leader, you have to care for the people in your care. It's not about them loving you. It's about, in many cases, you loving them and making sure to do right by them. And there's even a part in the book where I talk about how to fire people because that's the sort of thing where if you ever want a true expression of love as a leader in in a business, you have to understand what that process is going to look like. Because sometimes, look, things happen. You may have to like, you don't have the money, you have to cut back on your staff. How are you going to take care of people that if you cared enough to hire them, that you care enough about their well-being on the way out, that you do everything in your power to make sure that that doesn't harm them in whatever way possible? Can you make introductions? Can you write a LinkedIn recommendation? How much can you afford to give them on their way out? Those are the sort of conversations that I think are important to have. If you're going to be a manager, you have to get outside of thinking that the business is about the bottom line and start understanding that every business is about the people that make that business run. You know what I love about this, and I love how you talk about it's for two different demographics, is I have spoken to so many mid-career leaders, amazing people, and they do talk about not having an environment that they can thrive in. And we can sometimes fester and play victim to that. Or I encourage anybody who's listening, and I do, I got a picture of one person who just says, I've got a boss that's a bully. And I feel for that person. I wish I could change their situation. But if you can't change the situation, the lovable leader, the book, could at least then give you the behaviors, the skills, the tips, your experience on how could you then be the leader that maybe you would want in others. Because someday, somebody will follow you because you value and respect and treat people with kindness. So this book is for everybody because I think we all, despite our upbringing, maybe we have loving families, maybe we came from a good school. We need to be reminded of these things. We have only so much time on this earth and we need to make it the best we can and not have so much stress. So thank you so much for that. It's an amazing book. We'll have more in the show notes about that. But again, you said you're all over the map. There are so many things that make who you are. You talk about being superhuman, being a superhero. You got a Spider-Man on the back of your chair with the Marvel on it. <laughs> so I can see that through and through. 
talk to me about becoming a superhuman, a superhero. I talk about this a lot, finding your superhero strengths, because you are meant to do certain things on this world because of what makes you unique. So tell me more about that. I am on a mission to help people see the extraordinary in themselves. And part of that is that I'm naturally good at that. One of my superpowers is seeing in people what is extraordinary about them that they sometimes cannot see in themselves. So I break it down like this. I think everyone has superpowers. And by superpowers, I don't necessarily mean you're able to jump 25 feet in the air or punch through a a cement wall. I mean, you do something that's extraordinary. Relative, other people will look at and go, wow, how do you do that? And you think it's completely commonplace, as simple as breathing. And I think we have not been raised, at least in, in the United States and in our culture, I don't think we do a particularly good job of allowing people the freedom to say, hey, I'm really good at that. It's kind of frowned upon to, it's seen as boastful, to be proud of being good at a particular thing. So I try to create a space for people to acknowledge and recognize the superpowers they have. So that's part one. Once you have that, though, then you can realize, hopefully, that you can actually acquire more. You are capable of finding things that interest you and growing. You are always growing as a person. So the process of becoming superhuman is what I've put together as a framework for a process to go about growing in whatever ways and meeting whatever challenges you're after. I'm not guaranteeing that you can do it, but there is a process to growth. So that's becoming superhuman. And once you've acquired your abilities, any abilities, you recognize your superpower or you've become superhuman, if you can then live by a code and you can apply yourself and your abilities to making the world a better, safer, kinder, and more equitable place, you then earn the right over time to call yourself a superhero or be called a superhero because you are applying yourself towards protecting others, creating justice, creating kindness in the world. So that's the progression is recognize your superpowers. You go from mild-mannered to superpowered to superhuman to superhero. So this sounds too good to be true, but I am smiling also. And you and I are going to spend a couple moments and talk about my superpowers, superhuman strength, et cetera. But talk to me about maybe either a situation a workshop, an organization whereby which you had the opportunity to work with somebody and they discovered their superpower and what are they doing now with it? I'm curious. So I'll give you the one that's always on the tip of my tongue when I think about superpowers. So my business partner in Super Productive, name is Sarah. I've known Sarah for 10 years, a little longer than 10 years. She was a former client of mine. And then she became an entrepreneur. We started talking about working together. We started working together. We're like two peas in a pod, yin yang. And I always noticed that she would always ask me for permission in a lot of ways because she she had come from a corporate background. So she was always asking someone for permission on things. And she'd always ask me for permission. And she was, you know, new entrepreneur, a little trepidatious going into business. And she would get these meetings with people. And I noticed that she was sometimes a little nervous. And I said to her at one point, I was like, Sarah, can I just point out something that I know about you? One, you're really good at what you do. So you don't need my permission. And number two, you are profoundly likable. Profoundly likable. Not just likable. Profoundly likable. I don't know anyone that doesn't like you. So stop worrying so much about whether or not you're allowed to do whatever you can. You work for yourself. Do whatever you want. And on top of that, trust that every person that you're going to interact with is most likely going to like you and that's going to take you a long way. And I can tell you, I can, you can point to her career trajectory from that point of her kind of really internalizing. Because we had that conversation a couple times before she really believed it and took it in. But you can see she's just, it's just taken off her business in a new way 
because she knows that she can rest and rely on the fact that she's really likable. And she knows now that she doesn't need that permission, that she's really good at what she can do. And I think she always knew it, but I think she almost needed the permission to not ask for permission anymore. She almost needed the permission to realize that she had this strength of being profoundly likable. So that's just one example of someone who, you know, I worked with her, I coached her before she became my business partner. And I watched her like bloom like a flower when we had these conversations. I'm getting chills right now. (laughs) It's beautiful work. And I've also had a few people tell me, Deb, your voice, your voice, it's disarming. It's smooth. It's easy to listen to. It draws people in. I've actually been a guest on some podcasts. I've been answering questions at the podcast host and I finish my talking point and I almost have to snap out of listening to me. Their mouth is open like a fish or something like that. And then because they've been entranced by what I was saying. So I'm on a mission to leverage not only that superpower and who knows what other ones I might have as well. So that's your individual impact. But you also spend a lot of time in helping companies and brand strategy, building heroic brand strategies. Is that around finding their superpower or that unique gift? Tell me a little bit more about how you impact businesses as well. Yeah. So the heroic brand, I'm so glad you brought that up. I don't even think I've gotten a chance to talk about heroic branding all that often. So I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. So heroic branding, what makes the branding heroic is not that we're doing great brand work because that's part of it. But what makes it heroic is that I encourage the brand to think about what really matters to you. Like, What would happen if you were gone tomorrow? Would anyone care? And how can you make it so that if you were gone tomorrow, people would care? Patagonia, the owner, shortly before this, it was in the past couple of days, he gave the entire $3 billion company or whatever to a fund to basically fight climate change. You want to talk about a legacy? That That's a conversation that's across every single business journal right now. And some of them are trying to not talk about it because they don't want business to change in that way. But that dude made a mark in making that decision. And what I encourage companies to do when we're working on branding is I push them. I say, well, what really matters to you? Because if you say like, what's the purpose of any business? Like really in this system, the purpose is to make money. But I want you to go deeper than that. Who do you help? Whose lives do you change? What downstream harm could you possibly be causing? And can you fix that? So how can you utilize your company? If we're going to say capitalism is the greatest engine of growth and humans thriving in the Let's make it true if we can. Let's do our best to say that our impact in our work needs to make a difference. And that means not just the people that we serve and that we sell to, but it also means the people inside of the walls of our company. How do we make sure that they feel seen, that they feel safe, that they feel involved, and that they feel aligned with a mission and a purpose that they want to also be a part of? So I look at heroic branding as taking the exercise of branding and moving it out of just fonts, logos, colors, cute taglines, and instead trying to stand for something. And I'll give you just one example that I'll close with on this point, which is, do you know the story of why Volvo is synonymous with safety? No, I just know it to be true. Right? So the example I always give in a branding workshop is I say, I'm going to shout out a word and I want you to tell me the first company you think of. And I say safety, 99% of the time, Volvo, do you know why? And they go, no. They say, oh, the seatbelt thing. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. And they're like, I don't know, something with the seatbelt. So Volvo invented the three-point seatbelt. And when they invented it, they could have patented it, sold it, made a mint. What did they do? They gave it away. They were so serious about safety that they took an innovation that they came up with that could save lives, that could have given them a competitive advantage into the distant future. 
and they gave it away because the safety was more important than the money. So the question I always ask every client is, when we get to the concept of purpose and belief and we get into the richness of brand, what is something you believe so firmly that you would stand by it even if it cost you everything? That is heroic branding, is to stand for something that you're willing to lose everything over. So this is why I love these interviews, because in the moment I'm getting inspired, my listeners happen to be in the room with us right now listening to this. That's why I podcast. I love talking to people. But this is where I am in a quandary, and now I'm going a little personal here. I care so much about the drop-in CEO brand. I will drop into situations, work with C-suite leaders, and solve their business issue. But after we assess the landscape, solve the business problem, we elevate the people for a lasting impact. I am so bent on helping C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow navigate their challenges with confidence. I give this stuff away. Yes, I have written a book that distills my insights and inspiration. But even though, despite other people, Deb, you got to find a way to monetize. You got to find a way to monetize this. I just, I know, am I stupid? Am I foolish? Or no, I keep going with this podcast. I want to inspire many. I want to put my content out there. I want to leave that impact, that one to many. Is there something wrong with me here? No, 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 no. So I will tell you this. When, so when did you start this podcast? Oh, two and a half years ago. We're up to about 255 episodes. Cool. I have been podcasting for free since 2013. I have had four or five different podcasts. I've gone, I've had a podcast. I'll do like 20 or 30 episodes. And then I, you know, did a different one in it. So I've gone on and on. And Shareable's been around since 2017. I've done 200 and some odd episodes. My God. Gone on a couple hiatuses, but I do it because I love talking to people. And I will tell you this, in my opinion, and this is not, you know, this is just my opinion. People notice you when you do things and you put it out there and it's authentic and it's something you care about and it's genuine. People will notice you, even if they're not liking, commenting, sharing, subscribing. If they see it, if it's out there, more people are noticing it than you think. And just by doing it, you're putting a breadcrumb out in the world for someone to follow back to you. So there's a reason to do it for that reason alone. The second is back to my point about what would you do even if it cost you anything and everything. I don't care if I have to give this book away. I want new managers to change the culture of work so that people can come to work and feel cared for, trusted, and safe. And if I have to give away every single copy of this book, I would do it because that's the more important part. So you doing this podcast and you sharing these gifts with people, there's abundance out there, right? Like you're going to talk to people, they're going to hear your voice, they're going to like your perspective. Those that will resonate with your message will come to you. But the bigger point is you care about something enough to keep doing it. So I would encourage you to keep doing it and you never know who you're going to meet, right? Like we're, we're having this conversation now. Who knows what, what comes out of us having had this conversation, either through introductions that we make for each other, through our own relationship, through people that have heard us that follow me, people that hear you following that, that follow me. You know what I'm saying? Like you never know what'll come from it. So I think you just have to, you have to care about what you care about and keep moving forward with it. All right. Well, thank you so much for that because I too have been giving my book away. For every person that I have been connecting with, I am offering the book because I want to get it in the hands of people that could value it. So very inspiring here, but I have to ask you one more question before we bring this to a close because communication, the way us as humans connect with each other is so important. And we come into this world, we start communicating, we cry as a baby, people respond to us, they lift us up. And then we learn the art of communicating, sharing words, and getting transactions done. 
but you talk about mastering your communication superpowers. I see talented people that can't communicate in the right way, and then they start losing their confidence. What's your perspective on this? Because I think it's so valuable, and I want to learn from you as well. I think communication is the most important tool we have as humans. I mean, we are social creatures, and we have to, in some way, bridge the gap between what's going on in our own minds and what's going on in others. And we have to coordinate and collaborate on things. So what makes that happen? It's always communication. And communication can be used to do so many different things because it's just the transmission of information of some sort. It could be an emotion. It could be data. It could be anything from one place to another, right? I believe the most effective communication inspires, it informs, and it influences. That is effective communication. But by contrast, you could miscommunicate or you could misinform people or confuse them. You could subordinate them or incapacitate them. You could demotivate them. These are all things that I think are poor uses of communication. I think it's so much of what the command and control style of leadership has been based on is manipulating people for your own gain. I think when you switch the lens to what you're trying to accomplish, especially if you have a noble pursuit of making a better world, I think you then begin to focus on how do I inspire and influence and engage people to come with me on a mission towards a better place? Communication is it is such a vast topic that it would be impossible for us to cover in our short time together, but written communication, verbal communication, nonverbal communication, all of these things are things we're thinking about. But at the end of the day, I always look at communication through the lens of how am I showing up for the other person and how is it making them feel about themselves? So the entire lovable leadership model of communication really revolves around empathetic connected communication. So when you're having conversations, thinking about what that other person is experiencing through it, trying not to make them defensive, validating them instead of judging them. There's a whole concept in the book called sitting on the same side of the table. And that's what I try to do in all walks of life is I'm trying to sit on the same side of the table with people. I want to say, where are we going together? I'm interested in you. Tell me about you because I want to be on the same side of the table with you. And I think that when you take that approach, at least in my experience, I found people like to be around those who make them feel good about themselves. People like to be around those who are inspiring them to be the best versions of themselves and who influence them to do things that are in line with their values. You know, what I love about this, and I think there's really an actionable step here for our listeners, is that, you know, again, we are celebrated for our technical craft. We have to deliver information to people so we can, as you say, educate, influence, inspire. But it's not about you disseminating the information or the message. Yes, you have to do it in a way that is consumed. And I just did a solo podcast is going to be coming out really soon, but it is about the other person because they can only process information at a certain rate, the rate that you deliver the information, the words and the intonation. And to your point, how you make them feel is more likely going to be the way that you can influence and, and move things forward. So I love just flipping the perspective, have your information, but just think about how are they going to feel as they receive this? it might lead you to changing how you deliver it and how they consume it. So love, 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 love the lovable leader and all the work. I think what you're doing is making such an amazing impact on the world. I want people to connect with you. I want them to really be inspired by your work. What are some last closing comments or thoughts you have or ways people can reach out to you and learn more about your work? Well, for anyone that's looking to find me or any of my work, I make it really simple. I used to give out links to all of my different projects, but now I just created one page that allows you to find everything I work on. And it's just jgibbard.com. So J, my first letter, and then gibbard.com. And that links to everything that I do. 
As far as parting thoughts, I mean, first, I want to give you a parting thought, which is that I think that you're a really gracious podcast host. I think your voice is absolutely incredible. And if I were you, I would put together a series of CEO guided meditations that people could download and buy because I kid you not, I would absolutely listen to like five to 10 minutes of you at a time giving short CEO lessons with your voice and some melodic music in the background, like a meditation. I'd be in on that. I think that that would be solid. I think people would buy that. Your voice is absolutely stellar. But just as far as other people listening, I think if there's a key takeaway that I hope that you walk away from today's episode with, it's that your words and your actions matter and how you show up for other people and how you respect your own place in this world matters. And I think you just need to think about that because you only have so much time here, as Deb said, and I think you should use that making it the best it can be. And in my world, that means making the biggest positive impact on others that you can. Jeff, I have so appreciated the conversation for myself personally, giving me, I don't know, more of that courage to be more of my superhuman self and just know that there are people out there doing amazing work to help C-suite leaders of today and tomorrow. So I just want to wish you much success and you've been an amazing guest and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass, will change the way you think about leadership navigate rapid transformation and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.